an artwork that you kind of it, it's it's uh, offending you, in, but it makes you interested. What the f is this? And and uh, that can lead to that you look another time and a third time and and the fifth time you see we are talking to each other. In this first episode of Gentleman Lars, you will meet Stefan Andersson, who is the founder of GSA Gallery. He has been running his gallery since 1980, and today his gallery represents famous contemporary artists such as Schaume Plensa and Tony Cragg. Stefan Andersson and I talked about how he started selling art from the beautiful town Umeå in northern Sweden, and how to create sculpture parks, and how he views gut feeling and religion. My name is Lars Carlin. I hope you will enjoy this. What did you do before you started this business? Well, I hardly remember because I've been in this business for 41 years, but, but uh, I am... Uh... I'm a farmer's boy. Uh, we didn't have any art at home. We had a lot of books. I was reading a lot. I was uh, I was a weak child. I was sick very often, and I spent a lot of time in my bed uh, reading. And uh, then, I, then uh, if you jump 15 years further, I was edu educated as an electronic engineer, and I got a, a job at. Uh, uh, gambling company uh, repairing slot machines and uh, I, I managed to advance in the job so after like 11 years I was manager for what was happening in Sweden uh, the company had grown to, to be operating all around Europe and then uh, slot machines were abolished in Sweden in 1978 uh, until a few years later when the state uh, organized a, a state monopoly slot machine company, but that was another thing. So anyway, uh, I, left, uh, I left that business and, uh, and uh, during a period of six months when I had uh, salary from the, my old job, I was wondering what to do next. And then an art and frame shop in Umeå came up for sale and I bought it. It was in 15th of December 1980. Uh, and I had a very romantic idea about what this, where this would lead me. Uh, so I bought it and uh, that's how it started. My, my romantic idea was to, to start working in that frame, art and frame shop and learn how to make frames and, and put paintings or artworks on the wall and people would come in and buy them and then I would make another frame and and uh, I didn't understand how difficult it is to to make a living on it the the the, the, the selling process was much more difficult than I thought your education as an electronic engineer um, is that still useful for you that that you have this uh, background in a way not not the electronics themselves because my my knowledge is totally uh, unuse, unuseful but i'm basically a technical person which i think is is uh, useful uh, 
Um, I'm a farmer's boy. I'm used, I used to, to. I'm a practical person. I can, I can solve practical problems, technical problems, which is useful when you install big sculpture installations. I know you have been working with sculpture since the 80s, I think. Yes. Um, how did you? What was the first first step for you to working with sculpture? It was. I, I came into the business in 1980, as we said, and the former owner had applied and been accepted to an upcoming art fair in <clears throat> in Stockholm called called uh, uh, the Stockholm Art Fair. Uh, it's open in the spring of 1981. So, uh, without being involved in the applying process and without understanding so much about it i had to go down there with some artworks and and represent my new gallery big surprise for you big surprise for me and it was a big thing it was um, possibly a hundred participants and i got to know some of them in 1987 there was a uh, there was a an event in Umeå called Bo 87. It was about uh, living conditions, uh, how to build uh, uh, residential areas and whatever. It was a, like, a, like a fair for, for uh, real estate developers. I have made some, some business with, uh, with uh, the city-owned real estate company called Bostaden, the, the, the public uh, foundation for, for residential areas. Uh, because they had, there was a program from the state when you borrowed money to build residential areas, you could expand the money you borrowed and and uh, include art in the buildings that you built. So I had this uh, idea to do something uh, when Bo Otteshu was going to open. And through class I came in contact with the Norwegian sculpture Bård Breivik. And... Uh, uh, I made an exhibition with him, not in the gallery because I didn't have a space enough. So I, I rented a temporary space at Folkets Hus in Umeå, a place called Tonsalen, which was prepared for dancing, uh, uh, dancing uh, uh, activities. With with the, the floor was stronger than than ordinary floors, so we put an extra floor on top to protect the surface and then we installed 25 tons of stone inside and uh, I got absolutely thrilled about the the, 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 the process dealing with, I, it came back, my farmer's boy's background came back with uh, these big tractors and lorries that uh, that uh, wheeled into the center of Umeå in the morning and we, <laughs> we, we were moving these heavy stones through the door and into the building and moving them in, in the building and lifting them on top. It was a fantastic uh, thing. So I was there for a month, the exhibition lasted a month and uh, I started to plan for finding a new space where I could show sculpture. Umeå doesn't have an industrial history. So it's very difficult to find uh, industrial slum places, which normally is ideal for, for, for showing art, if you can find an old factory or whatever. 
So anyway, I was looking for a place to show sculpture because I felt that this is something I want to do, do something about. And a friend, we were not very close friends at that time, but we knew each other. Uh, he, Christer Olsson, he bought Umedalen's Mental Hospital. It happened to be the same year, 1987. And uh, uh, it was sold because uh, the authorities had decided to close most of the mental institutions. So he bought the mental hospital with patients and all. The authorities uh, signed a, a leasing contract instead and then they moved. They emptied one building at a time and Christer could take over one building at a time, renovate it, lease it out to office uh, companies with offices and whatever. So he was on his side thinking of how, do you, how to change the impact of a mental hospital to something positive. Uh, and he didn't know how to do it. And I was looking for a place to show sculpture. And uh, we, we, we met each other now and then, and it took some years from 1987 to 1993 when we had come to an agreement that I should move the gallery to Umedalen and we should make a sculpture exhibition in the in the hospital park in the summer of 94. Uh, so I got an, a budget from him, which was not very much. So we made an exhibition in the summer of 94, with the, where I borrowed uh, artworks through friends, through Klaus Nordenhock and through other gallery friends, and I involved uh, the Art Academy. The, the Art Academy in Umeå opened in 1987. So at 94, there were still there were already some graduating students that uh, I could involve, and uh, it so happened that uh, I had a friend who was a freelance journalist who got a job at uh, Actuelt in the summer of 94, and uh, yeah, the, the one of the big news programs, yeah, maybe oh, the, ma oh, the oh, major. Oh the major news program. And probably not much important happened during that summer, so she came up to Umedalen and, and, and we got four minutes on Actuel. You couldn't put a value on it. It, was, it gave a fantastic impact. It was very successful. And uh, at the end of the summer, we decided to do it again, summer, the summer of 95. We did it again and again a success. So this... Uh, after some two, three years, it became like a responsibility to continue. So we did this for 22 years. Christer, uh, who, who put up the money, became interested and uh, uh, bought the sculpture. He hadn't, hadn't been much uh, involved in art at all, but uh, uh, he, was also, he was very interested in architecture, still is. But this sculpture exhibition gave him the idea to buy a sculpture. And uh, from the first summer, he was looking at a quite big sculpture by Anthony Gormley, the British uh, sculptor. But he uh, hesitated when he heard the price tag because it was quite a lot of money. Uh, so it, not, nothing happened the first year. But then the second year, he decided to buy it. So that was... We didn't know it by then, but that was the first purchase of a sculpture that was to be one of Europe's most important sculpture parks. Uh, and it's, it's a nice way to put the 
level, so to say, that you start with buying a, a sculpture by a world artist. And then through the years, I think we counted one day that it was 190 artists that had been through Umedalen Sculpture Park. Uh, and Christer has bought through the years from his own interest and from advice from me and my 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 business partner, former business partner Sara Sandström. So uh, Umedalen Sculpture Park is now a collection of 45 sculptures just sitting there, free, entrance free, 24-7. You can just go there and enjoy them. This uh, activity, this thing with the sculpture park in Umeå-Dalen has been really crucial for the development of the gallery. Because by, by making a group show, you can attract, you can call an important artist and ask if you can have one piece in a group show. And then you mention, the trick is to get the first important name, because then you can attract the second important name and so on. And uh, so, th so this has led to the possibility to meet important artists in Umeå. We always opened the sculpture park in the beginning of June. And at that time of the year, Northern Sweden is, uh, is uh, it's fantastic with the, the sun never sets. Well, it sets, but, but just uh, a little short time below the horizon then it comes up up again so the summer nights are are all uh, day, daylight all 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 day and uh, i think it was a little bit uh, it was exotic for for artists to come up to northern sweden and do this and uh, i guess we treated them well so they wanted to come back and we could give them a, a, a chance to make uh, Solo exhibitions through the sculpture park, we have managed to get relations with uh, important sculptors like uh, Tony Craig and Jaume Plensa and, and uh, other artists around the world. And you talked about that you treated them well when they came to, to visit uh, in, in northern Sweden. What, what would you say when you work uh, with a, uh, an artist? What is usually important? I mean, how do you treat them well? The the goal is to make them ambassadors for for the gallery and for Umeå. It was when we were up there. We we took them to my home. We invited them as as uh, not, not in in well when we made the sculpture exhibitions and we had maybe fifteen artists coming, then we couldn't. Uh, invite them to, to my home, but we, we always gave a dinner in my home and uh, we tried to treat them as uh, as uh, friendly as we could not and try to bring up to build up a private relationship with them to, to make make uh, if possible make friends with them instead of just having a business relation. When we had solo shows, we always had the routine to we opened the exhibitions on Saturdays. Uh, the artist came uh, maybe Thursday to build up the exhibition. They always lived in my ho my house. I I had a, at that time I had a house in the countryside by a lake. And uh, Saturday the opening was 
between 12 and 2, something like that. And then uh, we had inv invited a dinner guest to my house in the evening. So uh, in the afternoon after the opening, Sarah and me and the artist, we went to my house and cooked, prepared dinner for 20, 25 people. I think that's, uh, that's something I can't do in Stockholm because I don't have a big enough apartment and uh, I don't have... I don't live by a lake in Stockholm. <laughs> and and uh, so I think that that thing, being very pers personal and private with them, has has uh, has uh, been important to, to, to build friendship. And you also mentioned the import importance of uh, uh, that, that the, the Swedish news uh, program uh, had these four minutes with you. Um, how have you continued working with journalists? Yeah, it was easier in Umeå because we, we quite often we had a, a minute or two on on uh, kulturnyheterna because uh, on the TV on the, the TV the cultural on, yeah. program yeah. yeah because it's um, uh, they want to to bring news from all over Sweden. It's much more difficult to have Kulturnyheterna coming to an ex exhibition in Stockholm. So much is happening in Stockholm. But if you do something, it could be more important what we have done in, in, in Stockholm, but uh, uh, something important enough in Umeå uh, is easier to, to, to bring to Kulturnyheterna because they want to show the audience what is happening around the, around the country. Uh, so we, we were quite often at Kulturnyheterna when we were just operating in Umeå. And this builds, of course, a, a brand of some kind. This is very interesting what you have done in, uh, in Umedalen, the, this park. And then many years later, you started to do something very interesting the uh, in Stockholm uh, Royal Djurgården could you please well that's a spin-off from Umeåland mm. Umeå was uh, the cultural capital of Europe in 2014 and the crown princess and her husband were the patrons of this event so they came up to to inaugurate uh, the thing in uh, the end of January in in, in 2014 and we had the possibility to invite them to the gallery already at that time. We had got to know... Prince Daniel had been visiting the art fair market uh, sometimes together with some, some guiding museum people. And uh, so we had managed to get some contact uh, with him. And... Uh, when they came to Umeå in 2014, we, we sent them an invitation early in, in the autumn and said, we hope that we have, have the possibility to show you the gallery when you come to Umeå. So they came on Sunday morning after the inauguration of, of uh, 2014. They came on a private visit to the gallery, as private as you are when you are, I think it was 15 people with... Uh, with uh, security men and uh, also the American ambassador was with them and and it, we, we, they spent uh, an hour at the gallery on Sunday morning before they went home and then they announced that they wanted to come back in the summer to see the sculpture park uh, 
So they came on a on a on an official meeting to the to the Sculpture Park in August 2014, and uh, we were guiding them through the park, and they were excited, and we told them that uh, if you want to, we can make a sculpture exhibition at, in Haga Parken. Uh, just give us the permission and we will fix the sponsoring and everything. And uh, so they say, nice idea, write us a letter. And uh, so we did and nothing happened, so we forgot about it. Uh, And uh, late, it was more than a year later in September or so in 2015, we got a letter from the administration at the Royal House saying that on... on, uh, on the behalf of Prince Daniel, we want to know if this thing with a sculpture exhibition is still alive, and if so, we would like to have a meeting. So Sarah and I went down to the to a meeting at the Royal Castle. We didn't meet any royalties, but we met the uh, people from the administration, and we, they told us that uh, they could be interested in showing some sculptures, but not at Hagaparken, but at Djurgården. Uh, and they 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 pointed out a certain certain area, small area where we could do it. And they said, but if so, we want to have it up for the national day, the sixth of June, two thousand sixteen. And we need to know what you plan to do because the king has to approve it. And uh, six months preparation. Not long time to make something big, but we knew that Tony Cragg had had some large sculptures in his storage that he had been showing in, in other large exhibitions. So we called him, and uh, he, he really liked the idea and said, of course, we do it. And then we came back to the administration and said that Tony Cragg can do it. And then they said, well, what does he, how does he... Sh- what, what kind of an artist is he? You have to give us material because the king has to approve that it's not political or offending or whatever. And uh, so I think we were up in November 2015 when we got the final approval that, okay, and we got the contract uh, for, for the summer of, of uh, 16 to show sculptures. So that's how it started. And then we did that for three years. First year, Tony Craig, 17, we showed the Swedish sculptor Eva Hild. And uh, 18, we showed uh, Spanish uh, artist Xiaomi Plenza. And then uh, this project had become quite large and it took quite a lot of resources from us. It was easier in Umedalen because then we had access to to the real estate company's staff with their tractors and tools and people. And we didn't have to pay everything from our our own pocket. But at Djurgården, it took quite a lot of effort, both man hours and and money. And we didn't get much sponsoring. We were not uh, so at ease with asking for sponsor money because it's difficult to explain if I come to you and ask, can you, can you add 200,000 crowns for the sculpture project? You don't know if it goes to the sculpture project or paying the salaries for last month for the staff or, or whatever. So we didn't do much about it. And uh, so after three years, we proposed Prince Daniel that he should start a foundation because we thought that a royal foundation could be, it would be easier for him to, 
to get the necessary funds to do something. It was a break in that project in 2019, both for preparations for a foundation and also they were building a bridge. So, so the, the, the site was more like a construction site. And in the process, uh, Prince Daniel uh, headhunted my business partner, Sara, for the job. I'm telling this as a, in a humorous way. It, it was more or less like that, but we came to an, an understanding that this would be a nice way for her to, to do something of her own and also a guarantee that uh, the knowledge for the sculpture park wouldn't be lost. Uh, and uh, we, we were eager to, to, we thought that it was too good a project to close it. It would be really uh, uh, something good for, for the city and for Sweden to, to have the possibility to build something really of real importance. I, I think that art that is offending can be very interesting and fun, personally. Can you find it boring sometimes that, no, you can't do this, no, this, no, this is offending when you do something in the public space outside? Or is it? Or are you okay with it? No, I think that... Uh that uh, you should challenge the, the, the audience. Uh, we could do whatever we wanted in Umedalen because it was totally private. Uh, uh, I don't know if the, the, the king is involved in, in uh, how, how much. Of course, I mean, he's the final, the highest responsible person for everything that happens with the royal house. Uh, I, I guess that the first year they were just uh, eager to do something that wouldn't cause a lot of negative press. Um, I don't think that public art always should be without problems or 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 too too smooth and nice. I think definitely you should you should challenge the visitors and challenge yourself and and you don't have, you don't have to go over over limits like in the eighties when a Danish artist uh, slaughtered a horse in public just to cause uh, some strong reactions. I, I wouldn't like to be involved in things like that, but there is enough blood in the world. We don't have to show that. But uh, but to 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 try to expand the borders of of uh, of uh, people's understanding what art is uh, that that I think is important. When you start to work with an artist, uh, how important is your gut feeling? It's all. It's everything. No logic? No. No, 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 no logic. Uh, well, I shouldn't say no logic. Probably the gut feeling is, uh, is uh, affected by, by something that uh, goes with the context, may, maybe a, an art, maybe what the artist has done before is if affecting you without uh, on, some sub, on a subconscious level, so to say. If you would look at art uh, in a gallery or museum uh, or outside, and you don't, you know, you don't know who created it. Well, how do you work with your gut feeling then? I think 
I think I'd, I, well, I have, I have developed a technique to try to, to get a feeling. Do I want to have? Would I, would I like to have this artwork at home? Would I, would, would it fit in in my home all the time? And uh, I think this is what I. The first lesson I learned when I started the gallery, my first ideas was to try to find what people wanted, which was a mistake. You have to try that, find out what you want. What what do I like? What do I like about this? And this is a process that you have to train yourself to. Look at something and really get get into it and see, do I like this or not? What, and if I like, what is it that I like? And what is, what is, it could be... A shirt, or, or a pair of glasses, or or, or a car, or or the t- the tie that I will show yeah, ex- you exactly. in a f- few minutes. Yeah, exactly. That I bought more than 30 years ago, but still, I mean, it's my favorite. Yeah, and why is it your favorite? It's kind of difficult. Why why do you think a person is beautiful? If you would send a letter to March and describe how how humans look then you would say that they have hair and they have a forehead and they have eyebrows and they have eyes and a nose and cheeks and a mouth. Everyone, everyone has the same ingredients in their face and they look so different. And how come that, that you, you, you prefer one look before the other and it's not the same? You, you maybe have... Uh, your favorite face is maybe different from my favorite face. And how is it that we, we look so different on objects that look the same? Uh, and that, that uh, process in your brain, I think, is interesting when you look at art. Why, why do I fancy this thing? Why, why, do I, why do it, does it talk to me? And to, to, to find that road in your own brain, I think, is, well, gut feeling. Or, or whatever it is. And this is uh, how, at least how I react. But I think that I cannot, uh, I'm probably affected by, by things that I know. If you have read about an artist or somebody has had a huge success, but uh, not always. Do you have any clues what this is about? I mean, we talk about gut feeling, but... Have, what, what is it? I have a clue. <clears throat> I think that from the five senses that we have, I think the 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 eyes, the, what you see, is the most rational sense. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's a survival instinct. When 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 you first open your eyes, you start to identify what is good and what is bad. This is my mother, and this is her tits, and this is food. And then uh, along the way, you have to judge whether things are good for you or not. A wolf running against you is something that you should be afraid of and, and a tree to climb up to is, is, a, is a safe place and whatever. I think the eyes are always used to make rational judgments. If you smell a, a flower or if you listen to Vivaldi or if you kiss somebody, then you close your eyes because you don't want to have a rational thing about it. You want to feel it. You want to have just a sensation. And I think, or if you, I mean, if you listen to a guitar riff or whatever, 
you cannot explain why you like it or not. It's totally irrational why smoke on the water is so recognized uh, and and the harmony. I mean, you you have eight tones, and depending on how you combine them, one one combination is so much more effectful than the other, and it, this is not rational. And I think looking at art or women, you have to turn off your rational need to look without understanding. Don't try to understand. Just look and see if you can have a, just a feeling of it. Like 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 a music riff or like uh, the aroma of a good wine or whatever. Um, and that, that, that takes some training. Quite often when you when you are not trained, before you got trained, then you start to find, if you see a, an abstract painting, you want to find something in it. Oh, that looks like a rabbit, and up there it looks like a dog or whatever. Uh, forget that. Uh, just see the, the, the composition with the colors and the forms, and, and uh, don't look at the dog. It's not a dog. It's, it's, it happened to be brush strokes. Uh, so I think, uh, at least for me, I think uh, trying to get the feeling of something more than understanding it, I think that, that is at least my method. Because n- now we're talking about art and uh, music and, I mean, wine, when it comes to people, because sometimes I know that, um, I mean, if, it, if it's a new person, I haven't met them, but... Sometimes I can, you know, see somebody uh, 20 meters away coming walking and it's just enough to see how they move their body or the face or hear the voice. And it's like, oh no, I will not enjoy this person at all. Mm. I mean, sometimes I get, "Ah, I want to run away. Mm. Um, And uh, so far, I think, well, absolutely most of the times that's... uh, when I get that kind of gut feeling, um, it's not a person I enjoy mm. later on. Mm. The same for me. Absolutely. Isn't and, it strange? Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's uh, you know, I don't know how to, how to explain it. Maybe I miss a lot of interesting meetings because, because I reject them. Or we are, maybe we are both still alive because we have that kind of reaction. Yeah, I don't could, know. I mean, it no. could be either way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Because also, yeah, I, I can remember um, another person uh, many, many years ago, I remember, it was not that I was scared, but I was like, the first meeting was like, well, this person is something different. I mean, I was like, huh, you know, uh, <laughs> just confused. And then we became really good friends, and he was, I mean, super nice and everything. But the first reaction was like, oh, strange, weird person. What, mm. what, is, what is this? Mm. Making me confused. Mm. Mm. Then good, good person, creative, fun, nice, you know, everything. <laughs> but maybe what you just said, maybe, maybe that reflection was the key Uh, because you started to think about him, weird, strange. Uh, if you just had rejected him from the beginning and said no, then you, maybe you wouldn't have get friends. And That's true, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah because w- w- what this person did was in some way talking to you. Yes. And you got 
confused and and on a level interested. Yeah, that that's uh, absolutely yeah true. And that that reaction I have also felt with art. That an artwork that you kind of it, it's it's uh, offending you, in, but it makes you interested. What the f- <laughs> is this? And and uh, that can lead to that you look another time and a third time and and the fifth time you see we are talking to each other yeah uh, so maybe maybe there is something that mm-hmm. some people and some artworks is bouncing off immediately and some are getting to you immediately and then there are a group of people and artworks that is teasing you so that you have to get further into it maybe yeah yeah i think you are Into, uh, on, onto something, mm. absolutely. Are you anything into religions, or are you totally uh, closing that door? No, I'm. 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 You couldn't close doors to things that you don't know. But I'm, I'm definitely not a religious person. I think life is fantastic. If you think about uh, the universe, as far as we know, this little green pea in an ice cold universe is the only place where there is life. And if that life, if our human life is more important than a uh, than than a flower coming up uh, from a frozen ground in the springtime, I think it's the same. It's it's the the fact that we have life is amazing, and what we do, I, I don't think that is anything anything after this life. I think that we have to enjoy it here and now, uh, and like. Uh, Like so isn't that sad in that way? If it's no. if it's like you think. No, why? Then well, then you are a little bit too self-occupied. I think if that humans exist, that flowers exist. I mean, the flowers wither in the autumn, and then the new flowers come up in the spring, and it continue, they continue to 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 be there, and being an enjoyment for us to look at them, and an enjoyment for the bees to get nectar from, and whatever, and that. Uh, Humans, uh, as a race, exist. That's fantastic, and maybe in the long run, on the it's not that important on an individual basis more than for you and for your family and your friends. I think uh, I think life is here now. To 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 plan for something even better, I think that's very pretentious. Before we started with this interview. We talked uh, a little bit about the art as a as a business. Mm-hmm. Can I just yeah, go this, back one second? Sorry. <laughs> yes. Was a, this was a strange way to <laughs> switch <laughs> subject, but no. please, this is very no, interesting. This so. is what they call esprit d'escalier. I all I think that religion has been has had a good purpose because basically it's rules how to deal with each other. I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's quite basic stuff that uh, you shouldn't steal and you shouldn't kill and you should you shouldn't uh, go to bed with your neighbor's wife. Uh, so I think it's basically, if it if it uh, if it's connected to a god, well, maybe that was an easier way to 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 give some importance to the message that this is not my idea, this is his idea. So you have to obey it. And I think it made life easier for us that we had to have some structure in life. Uh, and uh, I think the church is is 
important for important uh, things in life. I've been to a, a funeral for somebody who wasn't part of the church, and it was a very dull experience, I have to say. I think that, uh, like, like for death, for example, it's, it's, it gives something to, to go into these buildings and hearing these organs and this priest, and maybe he says things that doesn't make sense, but it, it, it gives a structure. So I, I believe in, in that we should have... I, I, I mean, I totally respect people who go to church every, every Sunday. I don't mind. And I think it's good that we have some kind of structure that we can trust on. And they have always been there and they will always be there. I think that's good. Yeah, and but wh- why are there different religions? That's because we have too much brain. We have too much. <laughs> Again, we, 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 have to, we have to create new things all the time. Yeah, I, I like that uh, that um, explanation. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought about this as uh, galleries as a business, um, because if if I got you right, that a, a lot of if if you look at Sweden, a lot of galleries are not working well in in a business way. Mm. Is that true? I don't think that. Uh... Every gallery is uh, run on a professional basis, business-wise. And it it probably has to do with the, the size of the gallery. If you get larger, then you have to be more and more careful about the, uh, keeping the control of the money. We have uh, six people who want their salary every, every month, and we have uh, landlords that want the rent every month. The first basic thing is that we have to pay the artists as we are agents, we are, we are brokers. We don't buy and sell. We, we, the artists trust us to give their artworks for in, in commission and uh, they expect us to pay them when we have sold. Like if you, sell your, if you go to an agency and sell your apartment, you don't expect the... the real estate broker to keep your money you want this is my money you take your commission no that that wouldn't be fun at no, all no no uh, so so the, it's the same responsibility as an as a gallery that you have to you sell something you <clears throat> you collect the money you give the artist his share and then from your share you have to <clears throat> take care of your own costs for salaries and everything and if you are yourself as a gallerist you only have your own thing uh, so maybe you can uh, You have a smaller space, it doesn't cost as much. Maybe you can't take any salary out for yourself. You can maybe you can survive on a smaller salary. Maybe you have you're married to somebody who's put food on the table. Uh, it's it's maybe then may, maybe it's more like a social platform to be and to enjoy the the company of artists and the art and whatever. And business is not uh, as necessary. But if you have, the, I mean, we need to get quite a lot of money in every month to take care of all our costs. And then we have to think commercially. We have to have a, we have to know how much money do we need to have this month. Well, we know that. So we know how much we have to do. And uh, we have to be 
proactive in our sales, not just reactive. Meaning the reactive is when you sit in your in your office and somebody comes in and you serve them. And proactive is what you do when nobody comes in. Then you have to take your own steps to try to find somebody who wants something. So on our level, we have to be much, much more proactive than the 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 the, the gallerist who is just himself and he's that's more like Lindblom's tea and 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 you know, yeah you see the difference. And what do you do to be proactive? Well, you have through the years we have a, we have ten thousand people in our in our database, and we have a knowledge of what they are looking for, and we have a, a memory from last exhibition that this person he was interested in this artist, and so we, we try to collect as much knowledge as possible about the clients we have. So then you call them, and and you say now I, we have got this. Two paintings from this artist that you were interested in. Can we? Maybe we can interest you for it. So, so, so we have to take steps to contact possible clients. Like every company that that is dealing with uh, sales, you have to have a sales organization. So then, is running a, a successful, economically successful gallery? Is that very much about selling yeah it is it's it's our um, the most important thing is that we that we can sell art uh, that we can sell and bring in money because if we don't bring home the bacon then we have to close the gallery then we don't have a gallery so if we want to be a gallery then we have to bring in money would that be number one yeah And then, what is what would be number two? Because we need three things, always three things. Yeah, we we need to have a high standard of the artworks that we are representing. We can't just sell garbage. Then then you could do whatever. If 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 just bringing money, then you could sell whatever. Then you could. Start a company where you pay people nothing for biking around with pizzas to people, and collect hundreds of millions for it. Then, then that's a shitty business, I would say. Uh, so we need to bring in money. We need to have a high standard on what we are selling. Uh, and when the, number uh, three, then number three is that we have to be honest. We have to be honest and and trustful. And in what ways? In all ways, we we have to be be um, honest with with money. We have to to stand for what we have promised. We have to not uh, give people wrong impressions of of, of uh, what we are offering. We have to be decent people. Not making any difference on on people who comes into the gallery. Not judging them by their clothes or judging them by the size of their wallets. Uh, I mean, we have to be decent. To be gentlemen. Yes. Why not? Why not? In in the best sense. Yes. During a year, the twelve months, do you sell pretty much? Uh, 
each month or is it very different from month to month? Very different. Very different from month to month. We never know. Could, could it be different? very different from year to year as well? Yeah, it could. Uh, we have... Well, the last 10 years we have had a quite stable turnover. Uh, and of course it changed in 2020 when the pandemic came. It was we only we saw a little change already on in 2019 with a little less sales in the autumn 19. We had a good sale at the first half of 19 and then the second half of 19 was not that good. And the first part of 2020 was lousy totally because of the pandemic. Then it came back again in the autumn 2020. And this year has been quite good. But I mean, if you have a food store or a hamburger stand or whatever, you could, you could, you, you know that you will sell something also tomorrow and next week. You can more or less tell if not everything goes totally bad, then you know that you will have a turnover. In maybe, maybe you can read the variations over the year. If you sell ice cream, you probably sell more in the summer than you do in the winter. But you know, you know a little bit of what you sell. And this business, I have no idea. I mean, I know what we have sold up till now. I have no idea if we will sell anything next week. I, I can hope. I can, I can think that okay, we have, we will have an opening. Hopefully, we will. Probably, we will do something. But I don't know. In the way, the Ica shop around the corner, they know more or less, how much they will sell next week. But does this make you sleep bad in the nights? Sometimes. Sometimes. There have been periods where the nights have not been that, 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 that comfortable, definitely. Because I've been working with sales um, uh, before. Um, and what I remember that... I mean, it's a, it's very hard to predict. Um, I mean, I was selling to to other businesses then, but then sometimes when when I felt like no, this is not working, and then like that gave me more energy, and somehow yeah, then the deals were started starting coming uh, because because I probably was working even harder. Does it work anything like that for for your company? Totally. Totally like that. We have to sit down and, uh, and have a powwow about what are we going to do now? What do we have that we can sell and who can we think about selling to? So, and then we make lists. And then we divide the list up and you call them and I call them and you call them. And, and definitely, definitely like that. You can't just sit and wait. And can you, can you like Mike make special deals, deals like yeah i mean you can get this really super big uh, large uh uh plensa um, sculpture and then you you get a little small one as well yeah you could maybe but in the long run i don't think that's good for your brand if you start to sell things too cheap uh, so we don't do that. We 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 don't uh, offer big discounts and things like that. It's we 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 rather sell. We rather make another phone call or ten more phone calls to try to get uh, the correct value out of it. Because otherwise, you create a situation. Also, you you show a weakness if you 
tell people, we don't sell anything. Please come and take something for almost free so that you just get... You can't send that message out. You have to look uh, irresistible because you are so strong. Yeah, we, we are in your gallery, so sh I think we, we should look at some of the very nice uh, sculptures. Do you, do you have something you would like to say something about? Well, this exhibition with uh, Xiaomi Prensa is uh, uh, our sixth e exhibition with him. And uh, what we have this time is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bronze sculptures. And they all uh, are based on a model. And the model is always a young girl, uh, eight to ten years old where he models that he finds in his life journey, some friends of a friend or whatever. <clears throat> so he, he wants to have young girls because an eight, ten-year-old person is not no longer really a child and not yet uh, a grown-up person, has not yet been hit by the realities of life. So there is a trust and a... And a a face of a of a of a of a child in that age that is uh, feeling good is expressing a total peace and trust to life and whatever. So he brings them to the studio and scan in their head. They have to sit with their eyes closed because they should represent an inner life, not not something that goes on in their head. And then uh, he puts the scanning, scanned image into a CAD-CAM program in his computer where he can manipulate it a little bit, stretch and pull and make, make the shapes a little bit different. And then he casts them in. He make, it's a long process of, of casting in bronze. We don't have to go into that. Uh, but uh, but uh, he says himself it's almost like being a farmer. It takes so long time from putting the seed into the land before you have a piece of bread. So it's almost the same with the sculpture. You have to make this form and then you have to take a cast of that form to make it into a wax form, to make it a long, long, long process. But uh, so all of these are eight different young girls. The sculpture has a name, but they are not portraits of, of a certain woman. They are more like representatives for us. For, for for the humankind. And the whole exhibition is called Stillness. And uh, so when, what you see when you come in is uh, eight, heads of eight different young girls with their eyes closed. So it, it's really a peaceful exhibition. Do you have one that you uh, like a little bit more than the rest of the of them? I do, and this is the hanging sculpture that we have behind us because that's, the model for that is the daughter of Sara, my, my former business partner. So I was there together with Sara and, and Minna when we went to uh, Plenza studio some years ago. It must be four or five years ago uh, where she was scanned into his computer program and now we can see her in the gallery. Has she seen it? Yes, she has. She was here at the opening. And uh, it's it's uh, Shama has portrait has used both of Sara's daughters, both 
Sanna, who is now soon 18. And she stands as a sculpture, in a seven-meter-high sculpture in the center of Bordeaux, for example. And uh, this sculpture, Minna, is... Uh, this sculpture is costed in five, five uh, an edition of five. And uh, so one of them is uh, installed in a new hotel in Copenhagen. Uh, I just saw it a few weeks ago. Does he have... Uh um, does he have a large staff? Yes, I guess. <clears throat> I mean, the casting is done in foundries. It's not his own foundries. But he has a staff. In the studio, there are 10, 12 people working to, to produce the original form that is sent to the bronze foundry to be casted. So it starts in the studio with a... With a basic form and then it is transformed into a bronze sculpture in a bronze foundry. Thank you very much for listening. I have been producing podcasts in Swedish for a couple of years now. For instance, one podcast about art and design called Tonträff för konst. The work with this new podcast, Gentleman Lars, actually started a couple of years ago and I have interviewed several interesting persons in English from the world of art. In that way I will continue to publish interviews in this podcast. It would be a pleasure if you want to continue listening to new episodes of Gentleman Lars. Goodbye for now. This podcast is produced by the production company Tonträff.